Your challenge, if you choose to accept it, is this. Let's go! Let's go! Show up on day one, work out with us for 30 minutes, feel good right away. Yo! Repeat five days a week for three weeks. Three weeks? Five workouts a week. We're body, and we call that a body block. You pick the block, and you're going to love the experience. On week four, this part is really important. Take the week off. Seriously, we mean it. Rest. Go on vacation. Or try something new. Maybe some yoga. Notice you're not holding on to any tension here. Or a dance class. Get sexy with it, daddy. You do you. And then start again. Be committed to this process. Choose a new body block each month. Get a new challenge each month. Have fun every day. Avoid burnout. You're not going to quit on yourself today. This is how you reach your goals. You win? There is nothing that we can't do if we work together. Sign up for your first body block today. Visit body.com for a free trial. That's B-O-D-I dot com. Are you ready to get started? <laughs> yeah, considering what we talked about, about this very issue on the podcast last week, and I was like, no, nah, that's probably fine. Orioles went to the wild card game in 2016. Uh, not really important how that ended, um, but <laughs> and then I won't have any problems at all. <laughs> but then it wouldn't be this show. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number ninety where we don't even know how to read an MRI. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh? Yo. And world traveler, Nick Dyka. Nick. <laughs> hey, guys. Nick is back from Korea, where he was invited and accepted to play music at the Olympics, which just blows my mind <laughs> that you would still come back to this slovenly <laughs> little show we have here. Hey, uh, you know what's not a Winter Olympic sport is baseball. So I'm very excited to be with you guys uh, talking about the Jays. Welcome back. Glad you fit us into your obviously ridiculous schedule. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, Nick came here right from the recording studio. So <laughs> That's very true, too. Yeah. <laughs> He's a busy man. Uh, is, uh, Nick is going to look up sleep in the dictionary to see what it's all about. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'm still on that crazy schedule. Wow. Uh, yeah, Nick just woke up. It's great. Yeah, he's, it's <laughs> that's right. <laughs> one o'clock. It's eight eight o'clock in the morning, maybe. Um, so we're gonna go over the game notes because there are actual f- real fake games being played. Uh, then we have uh, one last signing, which we didn't think a DFA that we predicted last week. Uh, Marcus Stroman is injured. I'm sorry to announce. Although you've probably already heard that. There's some changes in the TV. Uh, booth now that uh, Greg Zahn is not going to be there. We've known that for a while, but now we know who's going to be replacing him. We have an interview with Jake English of Bird's Eye View Baltimore. We have lots and lots of your questions. I think I think spring training real fake games woke you folks up, and we have a cliche of the week. So we shall begin. The Blue Jays are 2-4 and four in the Grapefruit League, which means, Josh... Nothing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what have we seen though in terms of specific performances that uh, may have raised our eyebrows, turned a head or two, or what? Well, for starters, in the very first at bat of the spring season, Curtis Granderson went deep. Welcome to the team. 
I think Kendrick Morales might have done that in his verse about last year. So hopefully that's not an omen. But, <laughs> and uh, he just went deep again. So oh, he looks like he's in fine spring form. <laughs> I'm not going to say the other thing. No, he, br- he brought his hit in shoes. Uh, also raking is, as I understand it, Anthony Alford, who I'm sure you're happy to see raking. Because he's like my favorite player? Probably that, yes. <laughs> yeah, over his last couple of games, he went triple, home run, double, sack fly, sack fly. <laughs> Pretty productive. <laughs> and he made an adjustment in the middle of the, the game. He'd been over, I think, for the for the early part of spring before that. And he just he made an adjustment about what pitches he was going to attack on the one that was the home run. It's like he had a runner in scoring position. He said, OK, I'm not going to swing at anything except a fastball because I want to get this guy home. And they hit the ball to the park. <laughs> it's a smart adjustment to make sometimes is to hit the fastball, especially in the first week of spring when guys do not have the curveball or the changeup quite figured <laughs> out yet. Hey, it took him four pitches to get one. <laughs> I assume they weren't all strikes then. <laughs> <laughs> it was two and one. <laughs> well, I'll, you know who, who probably wouldn't be taking four pitches is the Blue Jays incumbent center fielder, Kevin Pillar. And I think part of what makes Alfred's success so exciting, albeit in a, you know, a very, very small spring training sample, uh, is I think a lot of the reason people are so excited about Alfred is because he could be such an upgrade over Pillar if he is able to wrangle the job from him, either, you know, in the spring or more likely somewhere in, you know, May or June. We can only yeah. hope. Uh, so, Nick, I, I don't know if you if you follow the highlights because of your very busy schedule that we just mentioned, but what would you be happy about if I were to tell you some numbers that Roberto, were Roberto Osuna's velocity today in, in his, what, inning number four? I believe he worked in for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm most curious uh, about what he's doing in terms of his pitch mix. Cause I know last year and Josh, correct me uh, if I'm wrong here, but he was throwing his cutter more often and, and sinkers. And oh yeah. God, did we complain about that <laughs> on the podcast? Yeah. And so I'm kind of more curious if he's kind of going with that pitch mix or he's kind of going with the two pitch pitch mix he had used in, 2015-16. Um, I don't think you're going to see much of that in spring training. You can't really get a sense of what a guy's going to do. Right. Because but he still needs to work on all of them. He need, but but I think Greg was more asking about the velocity, right? Oh, yeah. right. He, he's like 95 or so. He's sitting 95 or so. 95-96 today. I don't know if he, okay. if he spiked at all. But to come out of the gate at 95-96 is not what we saw last year. Um, so maybe he's feeling rejuvenated rested this is a guy who's had a lot of punishment on his arm as mike son will tell us over and over again and make me nervous Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know what 95 96 makes me a little nervous too i mean look it's not bad it's perfectly fine actually but jeff zimmerman of fangraphs has done a lot of work on this how fastball velocity stables re stabilizes really really quickly and even you know this idea of working building up in spring training isn't really a thing when it comes to fastballs so if we don't start seeing some 97s and 98s in the next couple outings, I will be still a little bit worried because that was the big difference last year. He could hit 95, 96, 94 sitting there, but he wasn't able to reach back for that upper 90s when he needed it. Right. I, I think it's hard to tell whether he needs that upper 90s at this point in his uh, his development. 
I know that you, you, I understand what you're saying about fastball velocity being um, stable early, but is it really adrenaline that drives that? In, sometimes in a game situation where he can, you know, he can peak at 99 or 98. Is he really, you know, emotionally involved in it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a very good question. But yeah, he used to work. You know, his average fastball the year before was 96 and a half. Mm -hmm. And so if he's topping at 96, then that's still a downturn. So I just like to see a, like even one or two pitches a little harder, just to know that it's there. Yeah, right. I I wonder though, like if aside from the injury risk, if it really is a bad thing he's throwing ninety five or ninety six because he was pretty unlucky last year, but he had a pretty good season if you look at kind of all his like underlying numbers. You know, he struck out more guys, he walked fewer guys. Um, he might be able to be effective, I think, still at ninety five or ninety six. Oh, Again, for sure. Assuming it means he's still fully healthy. Yeah, and there's no no question. It was just more if the velocity is still down, I think there is still something of a health risk because that's yeah. sort of the big indicator, right? Because it's like I don't want to be just like Greg was talking about when we hear from Mike. <laughs> I don't want to be just sitting here waiting for the arm to fall off. No, no, we don't want that. So in in regards to the arm uh, of of certain people falling off, I guess that segues <laughs> into the Blue Jays signing of dare I attempt to pronounce Sung Huang Oh. Did I, did I get close? Yeah, I think so. Sung Wan Oh? <laughs> sure. Uh, he was called the final boss when he was in Korea. So I, he's like the in next Japan. to... Or sorry, in Japan. So now he's like Both. the next to yeah. last boss. <laughs> so he had... Okay, it's not fair that someone who had the nickname Final Boss also had another nickname, Stone Buddha. <laughs> wow. I know. Like, come on, share some of that wealth. <laughs> And most most of us are scrapping to get one good nickname. I know. Is there a pun in there because your name is actually Nick? Oh, n you know what? No, <laughs> so I haven't no. thought of it. <laughs> that, would, um, that would be dad humor to another level. Wouldn't it, though? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what you get for being a father for so long. So, uh, O is, or was, very good the first year he was in... Uh, with the Cardinals, less good last year, uh, and then we have a question about this later, I guess, for more details. But uh, the situation is where the Rangers that rejected his MRI results, and he's an older guy, but the Blue Jays didn't have a problem with that. What do you think's going on there, Nick? Well, I mean, I could be oversimplifying, but it just seems like it's a pretty low risk move. Uh, the deal's only for $2 million guaranteed, uh, and the Jays already have an established closer in Osuna. So I think it might just be something as simple as there might be something up with his arm, but you know, given what they're paying for him, it's just worth the risk that he can pitch through it. It sounds logical to me. Um, I guess in order to fit him on the roster, though, Josh, one of our predictions came true. There was no spot for Ezekiel Carrera in the sea of outfielders on this team. Yeah, and I think it's actually important to talk to these, to talk about these two things in connection because Sung Hwan Oh is going to make one point seven five million this year with a buyout, and then there's incentives. The reason that's significant is because they've designated Ezekiel Carrera for assignment, and he makes one point nine million. And mm. because it's an arbitration contract, they only pay one sixth of that if they release him. So it may essentially means that they got Sung Wan Oh for free. Or, yeah, for, for no additional or net, dollars. Or salary neutral. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what, 
Not for free. They're still paying him the money. <laughs> yeah, somehow Zeke does not end up with Sung Hong Wongo's money, and Zeke doesn't pay him. No. <laughs> yeah, and it's, as you mentioned, we're going to get deep deeper into Sung Hwan Oh and what he means to this team and why he could be good or bad in the question segment. But, you know, Zeke, regardless of Oh, we talked about this, he just didn't fit. He's not the backup outfielder because that's Steve Pierce because he needs to platoon with Granderson. And Grichuk's going to play every day, so there just really was no room for him. Because he's certainly not a center fielder in, in the traditional sense. So, yeah, where else do you play yeah. him? Yeah, and Randall Grichuk is even the backup center fielder, and they'll just play Granderson and Pierce on the same day. It just didn't make sense to hold five outfielders when you have such fragility in the middle infield because you'd have to only be able to take one of uh, Diaz or Solarte if they had all five, so... And kind if you of need a no-brainer, really. Dip into the minors. You have Teoscar Hernandez for a emergency fill-in, or Anthony Alford, or yeah. Dalton Pompey. They've got guys down there, or even Dwight Smith Jr. So they just, yeah, he just was squeezed out. Fair enough. Okay, now quickly, do you have a favorite Zeke memory? Um. Well, I, I'm. G- <laughs> it's actually one that was inspired by by reading your article, Greg, oh, at BB Toronto. <laughs> And it's just one of the many times when Zeke would like extend his arms for the ball and then it would go flying over his elbow or something like that. Or off his wrist. <laughs> yeah. It, it was definitely Zeke not knowing how long his arms were. <laughs> I think that, that, that... I, I got more mileage out of that one piece than I ever have out of anything I've ever written. <laughs> I was glad you wrote that. We'd been joking about that on the podcast for a little bit before that. But when you put that out there, the number of people who thought it was real it was great. <laughs> I don't even. Yeah, it's the sad state of the internet now. <laughs> we're we're gonna link this in the podcast post if you want to go read it. It's really funny satire. <laughs> Just the people who didn't get that it was satire. Way too subtle, apparently. Oh my goodness. Okay, we'll move on from Ezekiel, uh, who I will briefly say I always liked to hit a home run at the moment you least expected him to do so, uh, which was, you know, just the strangest guy to have win a game with a home run. Uh, we and have... I just got to cut you off. We got to mention, since we have an interview coming up with Bird's Eye View Baltimore, the reason that game went to extra innings, an RBI single from Ezekiel Carrera. <laughs> Boom. Uh, we have Marcus Stroman's shoulder inflammation to talk about. Uh, of course, Josh, you'll be happy to know that a few people are mentioning that his herky-jerky delivery was, was they think, possibly leading to his shoulder inflammation. <laughs> yeah considering what we talked about about this very issue on the podcast last week and i was like no nah, that's probably fine uh, <laughs> apparently he's been dealing with this since january though oh and it just sort of didn't go away which he thought it would so i don't know what the real cause is he claims he's 100 percent sure that it's not that i you know i don't know how you can really say such a thing but it's not good no and as we'll allude to, uh, you know, there are two important pitchers on this. This team needs healthy to be a contender this year, to have a real shot. And one of them is Marcus Stroman, and the other one is Aaron Sanchez, who is also a total wild card at the moment because we don't know how he's going to react to real game action. Uh, this could be really bad. I mean, it could be nothing, but it, it could be just about the worst news in a spring training that you could have for this particular incarnation of the Blue Jays? Well, you know, I think guys on the positive side, like the one thing is it did happen in spring training and, you know, he's got 
he's still got four weeks to kind of get himself healthy before the season even starts. So it is going to limit, hopefully, the time he misses. And the other thing I think is, I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks that Strowman, you know, gets a lot of criticism for his kind of like me against the world mentality. And, you know, it was obviously on display when he was tweeting after arbitration. Um, but, you know, he does seem to use that as like a motivational tool. And he is the guy that came back from a torn ACL way quicker than anyone thought was possible in 2016. So, I mean, if there's one guy who's going to like rehab his ass off and get back sooner than, than later, it, it is Strowman, I think. Well, and the, the, the contrast there, I think, is very interesting because if you recall, after that injury, he tweeted out, the comeback will be legendary, right? Yes. <laughs> this time it was, I don't know if I'll be ready for opening day. I hope I'm back <laughs> early in the season. <laughs> sort of a different level of optimism. And I think the big thing there is, you know, you can't rehab inflammation. That's not a thing. It just goes away when it goes away. Oh, okay. So my question is, was the entire arbitration hearing process just the team saying, we've seen your MRI already? (laughs) (laughs) No, the MRI was clean. (laughs) What do you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you're right, Nick, though. It's, you know, it is early. It's it's very good that it happened now as opposed to on March 25th. But. You know, it's still worrying, especially now there's a potential the Jays will have to throw two lefties against the Yankees in that opening series. Oh, God. Ugh. I'll get that sad trombone sound queued up. Uh, okay, so I will move on to the broadcast side. And the departure of Greg Zahn obviously was going to leave a hole because Jamie Campbell has to have somebody to talk to in the fourth and seventh innings. And I'm a little lost on the musical chairs here. Because I think we haven't filled all of the chairs with with Jerry Howarth leaving as well. So who do we have where now, Josh? Well, there's currently nobody in the radio booth, as far as we know. <laughs> Empty booth. <I> mean, <laughs> Mike Wilner is technically still there, I suppose. He's been calling games with Scott Richmond. And then they had Rob Fye calling games with Ben Wagner, or a podcast guest, Ben Wagner, host of the Bison's Games. But we don't know. There's been no announcement whatsoever as to what's happening there. It's possible they're auditioning them right now. No pressure we, doing a spring game. Yeah. <laughs> you get, we really want you to get excited about uh, reads down the lineup card. I don't even know who this guy is. Number seven. You have to say Jason in six times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Unfortunately, but, this has gotten Buck kicked out of the TV booth. <laughs> <laughs> One for 13 in his opening game. Well done, Buck. But whoever, whoever takes over, they're going to have some challenges this year. Like you've got guys on this team named Young Garvis, Aledmies. Gritchick, it's going to be uh, a mouthful for whoever takes over for Jerry. There you go. See, this is why the trial ha- is happening right now. <laughs> but we do know what's happening on the TV side now. As you mentioned, I think at the top of the show, Greg Zahn is gone and we know why. And Joe Siddle's taking his spot. I, I like Joe on the broadcast. I think it's funny they got another former catcher to sit with Jamie. That's <laughs> <laughs> all he's allowed to do is sit with catchers. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I can't imagine they're going to have Joe approaching things exactly the same way as on, not just for the insensitive sort of manly, whatever he did. I, I, I just mean from a, from a, uh, analytics point, Zahn looked at the game a very specific way. And obviously that's not how Siddle's come across 
in his tenure on the radio side. Yeah, I wonder if it's a different skill, though. I mean, when you're on the radio, there's only so much you can do, whereas what Zahn's doing is breaking down plays and videos, something you can do much differently if people can see what you're actually talking about. So I think it'll be very interesting to see how he does, because you're right. What we've seen from him, or should I say heard from him so far, is very different. But he he is a guy that played the game, and it's possible that he's got the same kind of analysis style as Greg. I have good news for you, Nick. Um, Kevin Barker will still be filling in from time to time on the broadcast. Oh, good. What's he, what's he say? The, the big dog's got to eat? Yeah. <laughs> also, apparently, Cliff Floyd has already uh, been tapped to fill in when, when Siddle is, is doing other things. So sounds like maybe a little bit, bit broader uh, perspective on, on that analysis than just the two, the, the Jamie and, and uh, Zahn thing. Which I think is good. I think, you know, they're all guys who have uh, a lot of expertise. Looking forward to hearing something a little different on the broadcast myself. Yeah. Same here. All right. I think we've covered most of our hot topics for the week because a bunch of our hot topics got, we got questions about them. So we're we're not going to stomp all over there too badly. Uh, But before we get questions, we have an interview uh, with Jake of Bird's Eye View Baltimore because... We're touring the AL East, as usual about this time of year, one team per week, and we decided we would start in reverse order of the standings, and, uh, well, as we all know, through basically fate and stumbling into it, the Blue Jays were not the last place team last year. (laughs) So, we're off to talk about the Baltimore Orioles. And we are joined tonight by Jake English of Bird's Eye View Baltimore, our old friends at Bird's Eye View. Follow the Orioles all season long, no matter how painful it is. Welcome back to Artificial Turf Wars, Jake. Thanks so much for having me. A pleasure, a pleasure. So uh, I'm only going to say this once, but I have to say it at least once. The last place Baltimore Orioles are your team. And uh, leaving that position into the offseason... They seem to have decided to bring back the same team, but add the most important player, I think, of the whole offseason, Colby Rasmus, and and also Andrew Kashner. What do you make of that as an offseason strategy? Well, first, I love the optimism that you think that I'm not going to have to say the last place Baltimore Orioles uh, (laughs) again in like 30 days. Um that or the next 15 years that's that in itself is is nice um what do i think of the offseason well the orioles went to the wild card game in 2016 uh not really important how that ended um <laughs> but they went to the wild card game in 2016 and brought the same team back just about and expected good results and instead they got the 2017 season so they said to themselves i know let's uh lose a bunch of pitching if you can call uh, not having a Baldo Jimenez on your team anymore a loss, uh, let's get rid of a lot of pitching, uh, bring back the same team, and then seemingly fail to address that gaping hole that's been our bugaboo for several years, and let's just see what happens. And and not only are we going to see what happens, but we're going to see what happens in what is probably our last year of contention as we are experiencing our final season with Manny Machado, uh, our last season with Adam Jones, Um and yeah, it's good times here in Baltimore. Uh, the off season has been 
interesting. Uh, they went off and they made a bunch of moves, and Scott and I have talked about this on the show, and in and amongst themselves, these moves are not terrible. They're not bad. Um, but they only become bad if they're the only moves. Uh, for instance, Andrew Kashner, which you mentioned, is a, is a pitcher. He, he throws with his right arm, and he is a pitcher who could probably be on just about any staff in the, in the major leagues as a number five guy. Uh, maybe on a number, you know, maybe number four slot. Uh, but right now, the Baltimore Orioles are going to have to depend on him as a number three starter, which is madness. Um, in addition, they went out and they got a guy uh, in Colby Rasmus. Um, they also picked up uh, uh, Pedro Alvarez, who apparently they just can't shake. And again, having uh, guys like those uh, brought in on a minor league deal for um you know, for some insurance, maybe to to bring up in the late season when you're trying to give your your real players a blow, or maybe just to see if you get lightning in a bottle. That's all fine. If you have to depend on either one of those guys for any length of time, that's a problem. Um, so, I think the Orioles are done uh, as far as the off season is concerned. But if for some reason they were to sign a real pitcher um, to address the the real pitching needs that they have, then you look at a move like Kashner and some of the depth that they've acquired through the rule five uh, draft. And you think to yourself, okay, well maybe they can cobble something together with uh, a lineup that, that if you know, the chips fall the right way can make up for some mistakes. Before we move on there, that was actually pretty good analysis, but one thing I got to take umbrage with Kobe Rasmus is no late season. It may be kind of lightning. He's the greatest player in baseball history. Let's just make that obvious. Here. Uh, here's the problem. Uh, Baltimore has a very serious facial hair policy. Ooh. And so he uh. will not be at his maximum trash stash beard thing um, for the Orioles, which means I think much like Samson, his power will be sapped. Do you think this they is have just a, sad. a- a cornrows policy. <laughs> if they don't, I am writing a letter tomorrow morning and uh, see what I can do about that because we, we apparently need one. <laughs> Sometimes uh, he goes to I don't know Cabo San Luca or something, and uh, he got talked into that one year. That was fascinating. Um, you know, Rasmus- there are places in Baltimore where you can get that done to yourself as well. Huh? There oh. you go. It's a. It's a uh, Multicultural right, city. Okay, we'll move on from Kobe. Moving on. <laughs> because you know, just, we could talk about Kobe all day if we really wanted to. You, you mentioned about the, the moves sort of being, you know, in isolation they were fine, and on the aggregate not so fine. So given all that and that the idea that they didn't seem to be looking to increase payroll in any way, do you think they probably should have gone the other route and traded Manny Machado and Adam Jones and whomever? Um, yeah. But when you're an Orioles fan, you realize that they even would have screwed that up. And what I mean by that is that there was a discussion this offseason about whether or not Manny Machado should have been traded. And at that point, it was too late, right? Because mm-hmm. Manny Machado is an all-world player. He's, he's ridiculous. He's a joy to watch. He's excellent. He's only getting better. And so last year, uh, before 2017, would have been the time, right? If the Orioles had decided as they seem to have, um, that competing is not for them, uh, that committing to a plan to compete is not for them, to admitting to themselves that competition is the thing that they want is not a plan. Um, they needed to have traded him at peak value. And instead, what they've done is they've dragged their feet, they've lied to themselves, they've let themselves believe that they can still compete with uh, the team that they have, and so are left with the options of either 
uh, trading Manny Machado at, at the midseason or at the trade deadline for a, a, a you know a fraction of what they should get for a player like that, or even worse and more likely, uh, letting him play out the season and getting nothing for him but the draft pick, and then probably watch him go play in pinstripes. Um, the same can be said of Adam Jones, uh, of Jonathan Scope, of um, you know uh, Kevin Gosman. The Orioles' window is closing rapidly, and they either needed to invest around a nucleus, or they needed to have blown this thing up uh, a little while ago and build around players like you know Trey Mancini or Chance Cisco or uh, Hayes and hope that these guys would be the next big wave of Orioles players. Instead, they've done neither. Um, and what would have been nicer, I think, if if the Orioles had decided, you know what, damn the torpedoes, uh, let's just go for this one more time. We've got one last shot in 2018. I would almost be okay with that if they just said, okay, we're only going to compete one more year. Let's see if we can get one of these good pitchers in here for a year or two at a higher uh, average value and just pay our way into competing. Um, it, I would like to see them, you know, go out and get a guy like Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb, not because I think those are particularly fantastic uh, pitchers, but because they're probably the best chance that they've got to improve their their starting rotation. And if they got a guy like that or, you know, both of those guys, I would look at it and say, OK, well, the Orioles are trying. They're trying to win. They went out and they cobbled together a real rotation. They've still got Jones and Machado and, and the rest of them. This is the last chance here in, in 2018. Let's go watch them play. Instead, they did none of that. And it's just going to be a season of sadness in Baltimore. Okay, so you basically acknowledge that they're doing a soft punt on the season for reasons, uh, which <laughs> a, a few teams are doing this offseason because of reasons which... I'm not sure that we have a clear answer about, but does how do you think that affects the franchise as a whole? Because in Toronto, attendance just is like a yo-yo, depending on how the team is doing. Mm -hmm. But but how does that affect the team that's been in Baltimore, obviously, a very long time? Well, you know, Baltimore doesn't seem to be bothered by nobody showing up, as can be uh, evidenced by 15 or 14 years of straight losing. The thing is, is that you look at teams like uh, Houston, right, uh, which went to the greatest of heights after tanking. Uh, but the Orioles tanked by accident for a really long time, and the fan base just dwindled. Um, you know, in July, people would start joking, except it wasn't a joke. Okay, it's training camp time. It's now football season. Um, you know, you could go to Camden Yards, which is the jewel of Major League Baseball, and, uh, you know, sit amongst five or 6,000 of your closest friends. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a real problem because I think that what we as Orioles fans see is, oh, my God, it might happen again. This team has shown no ability to plan for the future. And so you look at this really nice six-year window that we've had. I mean, Orioles baseball has been really fun to watch. Between 2012 and 2016, they were one of the winningest teams in the AL. We went to the ALCS in 2014. We you know, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Yankees in the ALDS in 2012. It doesn't matter what happened in 2016, but we played there. <laughs> and you know, we had some really good years after, again, a generation of nothing. The real question is, can the fan base survive another generation's worth of losing because if the orioles can't get it together and get a rebuild in in short order that's going to be the real damage because people weren't willing to forgive it the first time but they are surely 
not going to be able to forgive it the second time. And even if the Orioles had admitted to themselves that it was over, they didn't take the steps that show, you know, we're going to, to do the things that bad teams do to become good as quickly as possible. Now, like, you know what? We actually experienced something very similar with the Blue Jays from basically the end of the 1995 season till 2015. So you, you have our sympathies there. I really think in many ways our our fan bases and the teams are are very similar, um, which has made, you know, some of the the um you know, rivalry amongst the the fans uh, of recent, you know, kind of unfortunate because I, you know, I think we have a lot in common in our experience of just maddening teams. Yeah, indeed, We're brothers in arms here, <laughs> except for a certain wild card game uh, in 2016. <laughs> Something about that was not. I'm so, wasn't guys, you're, you're you're breaking up. I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I can't I can't quite can't, can't quite hear you. So the. The franchise, of course, is uh, is the big picture thing. But in in the small picture thing, we did have an interesting Orioles tidbit, and and individual players do soldier on and and are still trying to be the best they can be. There was a tweet from R.J. Anderson today from out of Orioles camp that uh, I'll quote it. Uh, he said Orioles first base, base coach Wayne Kirby just talked on MASN about how they use sabermetrics to evaluate Adam Jones' first step. They then said they're working to improve those numbers with better foot positioning. Interesting stuff. So. Uh, there you have an example of a, a micro thing where where someone is obviously still trying to get better every day and, and the people on the field are trying to trying to work on the product. What do you make of that for the Orioles? Is that a little you know, I find this really. I, I find this really interesting because Adam Jones's defense has been a topic of conversation in Baltimore basically since it got here. Um, and there used to be arguments about whether, you know, he's playing too shallow, whether he's really a gold glove uh, center fielder. Um, and, and here's the thing, the guy's on the wrong side of 30. And before I go any further, let me just say, I love Adam Jones. I, I really hope I do. I hope the Orioles resign him. I hope he finishes his career in Baltimore. I think he's got a chance to put together a career that is among Orioles best. He's in the top 10 in so many categories. He's a lot of fun to watch. Um, and, and he's a guy that's easy to root for. Having said all of that, um, Adam Jones is probably not a center fielder anymore, and he'll be the last one to realize it. I think if Adam Jones shifted over to one of the corners, probably right field where his arm and range plays well, particularly in that park and the rest of the parks in the AL East, um, that his career would be a lot more productive, uh, particularly with the way his bat still plays. Adam Jones has never been one of your sabermetric uh, beauties as far as defense is concerned. I like the fact that Wayne Kirby and the rest of the team are trying to improve upon uh, Adam Jones. And I think that Adam Jones is probably a guy whose ego uh, gets in the way more than it helps him. But I, I really think like it's uh, lipstick on a pig at this point. Uh, Adam Jones, again, a very exciting, very fun player. But we need to be looking at the very last of him in center field and start thinking about what his career is going to look like again as he moves into the sunset. Well, you're once again sharing something that we have dealt with on our own side here with the Blue Jays with Jose Bautista in recent years. So we understand that one. Sure. Um, so, you know, given everything you said today and with the, some of the issues this team has had, there is still talent there. There's still some talent in the bullpen and there's still some good players in the middle of the field. Where do you think this team is actually going to end up this year? 
Um, I, I know that I've just sounded super optimistic, um, but I do think it's going to be a really, I think it's going to be a really rough year in Baltimore. Um, I think that they brought back basically the same team, um, and they're hoping to not, you know, win in the seventies again. Um, so I think what you're asking is what's the best case scenario for this team. Um, I think the best case scenario for this team is, is as follows that, uh, Kevin Gosman and Dylan Bundy can be good starting pitchers in the major leagues. They can put together a full season, which neither have done. They've both been dazzling for uh, short periods of time to half a season. Uh, but let's just say that both of them can put together full season. Let's say Andrew Kashner doesn't vomit all over himself in Baltimore, as we've seen from the three to five positions. Let's say our rule five picks and internal depths can put together a rotation. Let's say Chris Davis and Mark Trumbo bounce back to some sort of form where they're hitting 25 to 30 home runs and not striking out all the time. Let's say Jonathan Scope repeats his most valuable Oriole performance and looks like a a rising star. Let's say Tim Beckham looks like the former first-round draft pick that he was for the uh, very short period of time he was in Baltimore. Let's say some of our rising stars like uh, Trey Mancini and Austin Hayes continue to develop as well as um, our our young catching prospect, uh, Chance Sisko. He can just hack it in the majors. That would be great. As you indicated, the bullpen is is very solid if all of those things break right for the orioles you're looking at a team that could win 82 to 86 games and be in the discussion for a wild card um come september and at that point you know maybe they can give up a little bit of what's left in the cupboard uh, to try to push themselves into contention i think it's a pretty steep price to pay and i think a lot of things have to go right but the ceiling is uh, maybe a, a second wild card berth. The more likely scenario, though, is that you get to interview me next year, coming off my last place Baltimore Orioles. Well, that uh, I gotta say, your consistency of tone is wonderfully remarkable. <laughs> you're, you're pretty much pretty even-handed across the board. So that uh, that about wraps it up. I think our first stop on our little tour of our AL East opponents. Of course, we started at the bottom. It can only get better from here, I assure you. It could only only go up. (laughs) Depends who you're talking about there. I mean, for for our listeners, probably not, based on what you just said. (laughs) Yeah, maybe this was the good news podcast of the month. We're not entirely sure. Uh, So, folks, you can always check a Bird's Eye View Baltimore out if you're looking for more detail and more information about what's going on in Baltimore. The guys have a lot of fun. Uh, Also, as I understand it, you folks have a drink of the week if, if people are interested in keeping tabs on that sort of thing. It happens. It's been known to happen it's from been time known to time. To happen once or twice. Um, we watch the Baltimore Orioles. It's a requirement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All the best of luck to you, except when you play the Blue Jays. And uh, we'll probably talk to you again during some critical series in the middle of the season. Gentlemen, I can't wait to talk to you again. Uh, I, I hope that you guys uh, have the best of success, success, except for in the wild card game. And uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully I'm wrong. And we're talking about uh, the teams one and two in the AL East, you know, going down into important games in September. And uh, we get the chance to have a really frosty, awkward conversation later in the season. <laughs> Sounds perfect. <laughs> have a good night, sir. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye now. back and in case you were pessimistic about the blue jays now you know what real pessimism sounds like <laughs> i like 
so he's he's going through. He's talking about you know this is a team that uh, they made the wild card game in 2016, and then they thought they'd bring back the same team in 2017, and it went poorly. And then it's like okay, so is he talking about the Blue Jays or the <laughs> Orioles yet? <laughs> and then he went into the offseason, and it's like oh, there's the difference. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say, given those two perspectives, the Blue Jays were generally they had a plan and they were trying to do something. And it wasn't it wasn't big and splashy, but they definitely had an idea. Whereas the Orioles just seemed to be just treading water. Yeah, which is never a place you want to be. All right, you wrote about the mediocre middle once. <laughs> yeah, um, mind you, the Baltimore's been lucky to get to the middle sometime. Okay, I I've had so much pr- trouble with. These drops bleeding into the next thing. I finally, I downloaded a piece of technology to hopefully avoid this. So I'm just going to go to the questions right now. See, I knew that wouldn't work because... Time now to hear from our listeners. (laughs) That just seems silly. Here's the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Then how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? So I just need to figure out how to do that and time it right. And then I won't have any problems at all. But, first, but then have, it wouldn't be this show. No, it would be a different it's, show. It would be a good show. It's still spring training, John. Or it's still <laughs> spring training, Greg. <laughs> uh, so our first question is a one that appeared in the mailbag from Ewan at Mentalk on February 23rd. And we're going to hand it to Josh to explain pitch tunneling, if you can. So basically, the concept of pitch tunneling, this was a thing developed by Baseball Prospectus before the 2017 season they released this. They did research based on at what point to pick a hitter stops being able to perceive where the ball is, which they as 23.8 feet from home plate. And so what they tried to do was track pitches that would look the same at that point in terms of, so essentially they'd be at the same area if they released at the same spot and then end up at different spots. So like a fat, if you have a fastball and a slider that at 23.8 feet from the plate are at essentially the same spot, and end up in different spots at the end, it's a lot tougher for hitters. That was essentially the idea. So basically, a tunnel from their hand to that spot. The, the more you could stay in the same tunnel with every pitch, the idea was that it would be tough for the hitter to pick up. And as a, a pitcher, you have to be, in theory, knowing that you're throwing to tunnels with your technique. Is that the idea? Well, I think the, the basic idea here is, is that this is to eliminate the idea of early break, right? Which people talk about like, oh, his guy, his slider breaks early. It's easy to see. If you throw something that, you know, stays in the same tunnels, then that's not happening. I think they're just trying to quantify what people are talking about, like how Mike Sun does with his stuff rating, right? Fair enough. So there's your two-minute primer on pitch tunneling. Uh, Nick, would you like to read our question from Colleen? Sure. Uh, Colleen Evans at Colleen Evans 6 asks, who would you like to take over the radio booth for the Blue Jays? I'm partial. I'll go first. Or, you will? Oh, All right. Well, you were, not, you were taking your time, so I figured I'd jump in. <laughs> I'm partial. And I think you might say the same thing that I'm going to say. So Jesse Goldberg Strassler, <laughs> because he's, he's a very nice voice, and he's a friend of the podcast, uh, and there is a certain sincerity to his voice that I think would really fit well with the Blue Jays. And and not that he's like Jerry. He doesn't sound like Jerry in any way, but there's a certain um, 
Je, je ne sais quoi. <laughs> about the way he calls a game and, and, and talks that I really like. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be a lot of fun to have a guy called up from literally from a ball to, uh, yeah. to call the games in Toronto if he wants well, a job. I think, yeah, I think he'd take it. But <laughs> you were talking about this when we discussed Jerry Howarth leaving. I think that was last week. So you talked about how Jerry had ability to bring you into the game with it being an excellent storyteller, which is important on the radio. And that's what Jesse does. I've listened to some of his broadcasts and you really feel like you're there watching the baseball game, which is a skill that not everyone has. Look, we say all our things about Mike Wilner, you know, about his comments and everything like that as just as a radio personality, he's fine, but he doesn't do that. You know, he's a fan calling a game, which you know, some people want, and that's okay. But if you really want the best, I think you need to get a storyteller, and that's Jesse to me. Did you have a preference, Nick? Um, I, I will say this. Uh, I, I do think in, in terms of Mike Wilner, Rogers is, is going to do him pretty dirty if they don't give him a chance. Uh, I think, you know, he's he has put in a lot of time there, and... Uh, and I think, you know, there's probably an expectation that, that he gets a shot. And uh, so for me, I think that's definitely what's the most likely thing that's going to happen. Uh, but in terms of kind of like uh, off-ballot suggestions, uh, I have a, a friend who who's, does radio in Montreal named Dave Kaufman. He's a huge baseball fan. He used to do some writing for like Getting Blanked. He had a show on TSN uh, 680 in Montreal. Uh and he's a he's a great storyteller as well, and uh, he's he's a big fan of, of radio as a medium, and he really respects the history of it. And I think he'd do a great job uh, as the radio host. All right, so we got to vote for Dave Kaufman. Indeed. And do you have a? I will play this for Dave, and he'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a question on the list there, Josh? I do. This is from Matt Sweeby. Fangrass. Fangraphs, I started that one well, ranked the Jays as the fifth highest projected expected runs for the following season. Reassure me that's not utter nonsense. I'm getting excited over a postseason run already. Hmm. Well, I took a look on Fangraphs when when I read the question, and uh, they've got the Jays ahead of some pretty dominant offensive teams like they've got the Jays scoring more runs than the Cubs than the Nationals than the Dodgers and the Brewers and I just don't see that happening I mean if you were to to look at their lineups so I do think it is a little bit uh a little bit bullish on, on the Jays as an offensive team this season I would have to say that uh crystal balls are expensive and <laughs> <laughs> mine mine is still on the installment plan. Um, I, Fangraphs obviously believes that they're onto something because they print a projection. I don't know. I don't know what a, a projection really means anymore. Um, do I think they'll have a top half offense? Probably yes. Do I think fifth? That doesn't jive with me either, but what do I know? Oh, I just want to comment quickly, though, on what you were saying there, Nick. You notice all those teams you listed were National League teams, right? These are great offenses, but they also bat a pitcher. And it does right. limit their offensive ceilings. And you'll find that most years, the top run scoring teams are all in the American League. And if you notice the teams that the Jays are behind in that list, Boston, New York, Cleveland, <laughs> Houston, you know. So you know, it, while it projected an offensive improvement, it still has it behind some of these teams that they're going to be facing off with on a regular basis. 
But I do think that there is reason to expect some improvement just because Josh Donson should be healthy. They have no Ryan Goins or Darwin Barney ever. You know, for and, sure. and Granderson and Grichuk should be better than what they got from their outfielders last year. So a slightly above average offense is not hard to understand, even if I agree with the idea that it might not be quite that good. Right. And that that's ultimately what what I think I'm I'm saying, too, is I mean, I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were last year. I just don't think they'll be one of the, the top five teams in baseball. Sure. Um, even if they are a team that has the ability to to run out of DH. All right. Brian A., our friend, asks, who will be the first player to be traded and why, Josh? Had to throw me on the spot there, huh? Yep. <laughs> a minor leaguer. Someone mm, who's ooh. not currently on the big league roster will be the first player traded. Ooh, that's, because that's... I think the Jays are going to be in contention, and I think they're going to add. Josh, that's a that's a really good answer. Minor leaguer is always the safe money when when someone asks a trade question. That's that's really smart. And of um, course, I'm referring to the Jays' Twitter personality. <laughs> He's going to be all broken up about that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my serious answer. I think that there's not going to be a player traded from the big league roster, at least unless things go very very wrong, and I don't think they're going to. My bet is Kevin Pillar, I think. <laughs> I knew that would be the answer. Well, that or a member of the bullpen when he, he or, uh, yeah, when he does not. Just he. Yeah, he. I'm like, there's only he's. Um, does not uh, uh, match up with the team's expectations and there's some other guy on some other team doing the same thing. <laughs> so this is our Jason Grilly, Joaquin Benoit challenge trade. Yes, exactly. Um, All right. All right, we're marching through the questions. Did you have a, a smarmy answer, Nick, or should I just move on to the next question? Yeah, no, I think because all the outfielders, it would be someone like Pilar if there was going to be a trade. All right. Uh, yeah, so hit Mi me up with the next one, Nick. All right, so uh, this is from Mickey Kosick, if I'm saying his last name correctly. Uh, based on what you've seen in spring training so far, which teams will grab the two <laughs> wild cards this season? We Josh, you go first. Greg, do you have those standings up? <laughs> I, I don't. Well, we are six games into the Grapefruit League season, so we've learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, let's see. The Jays are two and four, but, you know, Sean Reed Foley's probably not going to be playing some key roles for the Blue Jays this year. Uh, I don't know. Shohei Otani didn't look that sharp in his debut, so I think it's got to be the Jays. Uh, but really, this is all just a silly question. I think the answers are still whichever of Boston and New York doesn't win the AL East, and then someone between Minnesota, Toronto, and the Angels. I'm I'm with you there. Uh, yeah, barring any major injuries, of course, I think that's going to be our answer for the next four weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, geez, it keeps coming up. What? What? Uh, is it? Yeah, Josh. Next question. Yes. <laughs> okay. So this is from Colleen Evans. Again, I'm just going to read this quickly, and we'll move on because we're going to talk about this after. I forgot to ask. Will either of you be subscribing to the Manalist TV? <laughs> there's just your teaser for another segment coming and the words hard and, pass come from out of my mouth <laughs> yes they do come to mind and also as always colleen thank you so much for being a patron we really appreciate it and so this question from david palmer palmer at david the deuce what are your thoughts on the stroman injury we discussed that but not the follow-up is biagini going to step into the blue jays rotation or do you think they will sign another starter so we got word from uh 
Atkins today unofficially. Uh, he wasn't addressing specifically starting rotation. He was addressing the backup catcher situation more or less, but indicated the Blue Jays are are done. There's no more money to spend at this point, more or less. So I would have to say that, yeah, you are looking at fifth starter Joe Biagini until the Strowman situation is settled. I think that's probably fair. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's going to be Biagini, and I think that makes the the O signing that much more important because, um, you know, having him back there allows Biagini to come back into the rotation without taking another piece out of the bullpen. So, uh, yeah, that's, this is why depth is good. Um, yeah, this is just a great example of why it's important to have depth because if Biagini was in the pen or they hadn't signed Jaime Garcia, we'd be looking at, you know, somebody with little to no big league experience right now, like Ryan Barecki or someone like that. Yep. And it's funny that it sounded like death, not death. But <laughs> I thought the same oh. thing. I was like, D E P T H is good. <laughs> D E P T H, bad. Yeah. Just back to the Atkins comments. He wasn't specifically addressing the catcher or any other position. It was just a general, you know, we don't, this is kind of the roster we're happy with. And, you know, like if a move comes, we can still look to it, but it'll probably be a trade if it's anything significant. So it wasn't, he wasn't saying they're done or that they're out of money. It's just that they're not likely to be doing anything. Okay, I'm going to address this one from Brendan Panikar to you, Josh. Um, Sung Huang O's stuff, and this is only because you are the pitching guy. Sung Huang O's stuff appeared largely the same when looking at his fan graphs page between 2016 and 2017, which I mentioned earlier, 2016 was great, 2017, not so great. What does he have to do to get back closer to 2016 form? Okay, well, so Nick, in a piece he, he wrote after the signing, talked about some of the issues that came from, you know, that he stopped striking people out, give it more home runs. A big part of the problem is that lefties destroyed him. And, uh, you know, I, I forgot to mention this when I added something to Nick's piece, and I'm sorry, Nick. But uh, so his fastball and slider, which are still great and still dominated righties, didn't change. He throws a change up 7% of the time, but against lefties, that's 20% of the time. It's his outpitch to lefties, and that got really bad. It, you know, it stopped sinking, essentially. It's, you know, like he lost two inches of sink on the changeup, and thankfully, that's something that's easy to fix because changeups are field pitches, and if you know that's your problem, it's a lot easier to fix something like that in spring training as opposed to in season, and that's what he needs to do. And then if he can do that, he can dominate both sides. If not, he can still be a guy that gets righties out really well. Fear not. He's good. <laughs> All right, Nick, what do we got next? All right, so uh, Buckminster Fuller at DJ Buckminster asks, uh, which of these veterans is most likely to have a bounce back year? Kendry's, Tulo, Martin, and ooh, Pat Vendetti. So, that one's uh, for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Greg, Greg, who you go first. Who do you, who do you think is coming to, back? To what would Pat Venditti bounce back? <laughs> like to be the greatest spot? reliever ever? What kind of question is this? Well, he's certainly the greatest ambidextrous reliever ever. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, I I think probably Martin is the guy who I would pick for likely to have a bounce back because Martin has had bounce back years in the past that have been definitively better than a year previous. Um, you know, and and usually related to health. Do I know if he's going to be healthy or not? No, but Tulo seems to be on a bit of a downward slide. And Kendris, 
as much as he wasn't great last year, uh, isn't actually wasn't actually a whole lot worse than his other sort of mediocre years. He just he didn't hit like you would think a guy with power hit in our stadium as opposed to KC. But yeah, my pick, Martin. Your pick? Yeah. Well, I actually don't agree with what you said about Kendrys there. His stats were considerably worse than they've been in any full season he's played in his career. He was at least 40 points of OPS off in in an area where the offensive environment has gone higher. So he was actually even worse than his numbers looked. So I actually think he's the most likely one in terms of performance. Martin was actually the same last year as he was the year before. He just didn't play. So in terms of health, I agree. But performance, I think it's Kendry's. Are you going to pick too low, uh, Nick, just just to be... (laughs) I, I honestly, it's it's not to be contrarian. Okay, my case for Tulo is he's the youngest. He has the highest ceiling of mm-hmm. all the players on this list, and um, he's the one who can add the most. Well, I guess Martin can add defensive value too. But aside from Martin, he's the one who can add the most uh, defensive value, which enables. It's just another way you can be more valuable. Um, so I'm I'm gonna go with Tulo, and just to to go to Kendrys, I do think if you if you look at you know, look at his numbers, it does to me look like he's just kind of suffering from like gradual age decline, like his slugging in 2015, 485, last year, 468, or sorry, 2015, 45, 2016, 468, 2017, 445. That's, that's kind of the gradual slow drop that somebody who's, you know, soon to be 35 years old uh, is kind of susceptible to as, as a major leaguer. I, I, just quickly to counter that, but I agree with everything you said about Tulo. In 2013, his slugging was 449. In 2012, it was 467. So 45 was just a high watermark for the previous few years. So he, there was no actual decline there. Right. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, that that's sort of basically where the issue came from. But, hey, defensive value, Slimmer Kendrys. <laughs> <laughs> He's <laughs> played the outfield before, too. <laughs> yeah, no defensive value there. Oh my goodness. Whose turn is it to ask a question? Have I lost track of our little rotation here? Yes, I have. <laughs> All right, from Zach Smith at Saki3, who is the Jays starting center fielder come June? Um, can I tie that to Spez Baby's question? Yep. Uh, that would be, why is Kevin Pillar still with his team? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Hmm. Uh, you know, as strange as it is, I think barring any serious injury, um, I have a feeling Kevin Pillar is the center fielder come June because of inertia or something. Uh, but I hope he's not. I hope it's Anthony Alford or, yeah, even Teoscar Hernandez just for fun, just to see what happens. Nick? Um, yeah, I think uh, barring a, a major push from somebody like Alford or Teoscar, it's probably going to be Pilar. And I was tooling around on uh, fan graphs last night, and I think I forgot. Kevin Pillar hit 15 home runs last year. Um, it was far more than I thought he had. Uh, I'm not saying he's a super productive offensive player or anything like that, but um, I think he he's not as bad a hitter as sometimes we make him out to be because we just get frustrated with all the the pop-ups and swinging at ball fours kind of that, that we see from him. All right. How many we got left here? We got, uh, we still have more questions coming. Two more. Alex Hume asks, 
for all the floor raising the Jays have done, why have they not addressed the backup catcher, especially given Martin's health issues and cold spells last year? Is a plan for Jansen to take the role around the All-Star break? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it sure seems like it. Uh, that's I think that's the real the real answer is they don't want to bring in some veteran backup who's going to demand to play. They want Jansen to take over or even Reese McGuire, who if he I, I was I tweeted about the other day, if, if the Pirates didn't rush him horribly, I bet he'd be a lot better hitter because he crushes the ball. Sometimes he's got a really pretty swing. We just kept getting rushed. He's too young and too getting raised up without actually succeeding at any level. Yeah. Ultimately, too, at, at this point in the offseason, basically Jonathan Lucroy is the only Jonathan Lucroy and Giovanni Soto are the only catchers that are even still free agents if you wanted to sign someone. Yeah, and Lucroy ain't coming to be a backup to Martin and Soto nope. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and by sucks, we mean for a professional baseball player. Of course. We don't need that yeah. caveat anymore, Greg. <laughs> sounds so cruel all right uh nick hit me with the last question okay so the last question is on a scale of greg zon's baseball takes to greg zon the person how hyped are you for manalist tv josh uh can i just abstain i mean you know what his his in-game analysis is actually not bad so i'm on the greg zon's the person because i think that's the lowest scale here (laughs) I'm going to say, I'm just going to take, I don't really understand the scale either, but it's low, whatever it is. (laughs) We're going to go straight to the cliche of the week. Man, what a cliche. I thought writers hated cliches. I am hardly the first person to point this out, but he calls himself the manalist, Greg Zahn, as though... What is seriously lacking in professional sport is a man to talk about the men who are playing professional sport. (laughs) It's literally the only thing that we get 90% of the time. And certainly in the talk radio sphere, I think it's the only... is, Is there a woman in the talk radio analysis game in Toronto? Uh, I not not on a regular basis that I know of. No. So, what the heck is the manalist doing that's any different than anybody else? Well, he's not Maybe working. It's... That's what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> he's not employable. And when you <laughs> render yourself not employable, if you haven't heard, Greg Zahn has a YouTube channel, which, oh by the way, has no content as of this moment. And if you don't watch any of the content, uh, no one's going to pay him to produce anymore. I'd like you to keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, Nick? A, yeah, I, Nick. I've seen about one third of the Entourage movie, so I think I've got a, like, a good gist of what this is going to look and sound like. And I'm, I don't need to s- subscribe. I'm good. We're, we're all out, as it were. Uh, yeah. Greg's on... I, I think is doubling down on what was already admitted a, a, social, a social failure at Sportsnet. And now he's decided to take the worst part of that personality and launch it into the stratosphere uh, with nothing other than a YouTube channel and a Twitter handle. And um, I can't believe he did that. But he did. So you're nothing but a cliche, Mr. Zahn. 
And that's, that said, we are winding towards the end of a podcast, at which point I present Josh with an opportunity to give me a final thought. Josh, do you have a final thought? I do. So as we talked about Pat Venditti a minute ago, the original, not Tim Linscombe, is back! Tim Linscombe, the real one! He signed with, unfortunately, the Rangers. It could not have been a worse choice. Like, come on, Timmy, what are you thinking? <laughs> but this is my favorite pitcher and has been my favorite pitcher to watch in baseball since he debuted, so I'm happy he's back, and I hope the Jays hit five home runs a game off him. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Nick, a final thought from you. All right, so... In honor of spring training, I'm actually going to get out of here before the final thoughts, like most of the players get out of there before the end of the games and not give one today. Very nice. Ooh. Very, very topical, <laughs> as it were. Oh, what can I say? I, I think uh, this has been an interesting start to the spring. Um, I, I re- my crystal ball is not working. I want to know what's going to happen this year, and and these first few days have told me nothing, which is super unfortunate. Well, Um, as John Gibbons likes to say, it's like spring training starts, and then only bad things happen until the regular season. Yeah, so I hope we don't hear anything for another four weeks or so. That's my thought. Let's not hear anything. Oh, my goodness. This means that... um, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka. And I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And our guest was Jake English at Bird's Eye View Baltimore, who we thank for coming on. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 90. And we'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.